Well, good morning, church family. My name is Nate, and uh, we're going to be continuing in our Family Matters series this morning. We're going to specifically talk to husbands. So if you have your um, Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 25. Before we get there, though, just a couple of like disclaimers to kind of get out of the way. Um, first off, here at Redemption, we are a Bible-believing, gospel-centered church that believes in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The reason I say that is I'm going to speak to the wives for a moment. You don't have to operate today as we talk about husbands as the Holy Spirit. So I don't need to see any like elbows or like sideways glances or like, did you write that down? You don't need to do that. We trust the Holy Spirit. He will convict. He will lead. He will guide. You don't have to take his job this morning. Okay. All good. And then secondly, I wanted to speak to those who maybe aren't husbands yet, or if you're, you find yourself this morning, you're, you're here and you're single and we're in this family matters series. Um, I think this is still highly practical. I think this is still highly applicable. Even if you don't have a spouse today, don't, don't just zone out and start dreaming about where you're going for lunch. Um, there's, God has something for you as we open his word. Um, especially if you're a single guy, like take this as future training. Don't, don't take and wait until you're a husband to learn this stuff. Start putting some of these things into practice now. Um, and then if you're a single lady, this is what we're going to talk about, what we're going to look at in the word. This is what you're looking for. If you're looking for a husband or as you're, you're, you're praying through a spouse, like, um, and so regardless of where you're at this morning, I believe that, that this series and this text has something for us. Um, and so we're just going to trust that, that God's in this. And so, um, the kind of banner verse that I want to lean on, um, today, and then I think, uh, really impacts next week is Jeff gets up and kind of speaks then to, um, to wives is at the end of Ephesians five, verse 33, Paul says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's kind of, to me, the overarching theme of these next couple of weeks is last week we talked about the covenant of marriage and how we were all super excited to make this commitment and stand before, you know, God and our family and our spouse and say, yes, I will marry you. And then life happens. And we find ourselves in this lifelong covenant that takes work and effort. And you learn, man, he doesn't pick up his dirty clothes and it's disgusting and he snores and it's just off. Like there's just all of these things that happen in the midst of a marriage. But what Paul is calling us to and what we're going to see this morning is that if we want to have healthy marriages and a a conviction that we have um, is that as go the marriage, as goes the family, as goes the church. And so if we want to be a healthy church, we need healthy families. And if we want healthy families, we need healthy marriages. And so that's the goal. That's kind of the idea. And it's important for us to understand at the onset that men and women are different. That women are designed to need love, to feel pursued, to feel affection, to feel loved by their husband unconditionally. And that's the word that we're going to see repeated throughout our text. And then likewise, husbands, you are designed to need respect from your wife. And we're going to see that that's 
unconditional as well. But today we're going to focus in on the men. We're going to focus in on our role as husbands. If we're going to love our wives unconditionally, what do we need to do? And as I was contemplating and thinking back to my wedding day and how excited I was and the feelings that were going on, um, this analogy kind of came to my brain. And so I brought a prop with me this morning. When I was thinking about my role as a husband, this came to my mind. And if you can see, um, this is my original, uh, I think it was a three. I, it took me a little while to jump on the smartphone bandwagon. This was my original iPhone that I got. Um, it, and I, I can tell you the store that I bought this from when we were living in Florida. I could tell you the car that I was driving. I could tell you the first text that I sent and I felt so cool because I was just touching the screen. I didn't have like keys to click and I wasn't using T9. I wasn't old school anymore. I was, I was texting my wife. I was so excited, uh, probably sinfully excited if I'm being totally honest. Um, and, and, and it's, it's an iPhone, like, so don't get into like the, oh, well, we're Samsung. Like, I like iPhones because primarily I'm a Christian. Um, but, um, I was stoked about my iPhone. And I went out and I bought an OtterBox case and I had it protected. And then as often as I could, I would look for an excuse to like bring it out in public. So people be like, dude, you got an iPhone too. I got an iPhone. We're both Christians. That's awesome. Like, and we were just, we were in this cool club of having an iPhone and it was so awesome. But then time went by and Apple did what Apple does. And they came out with the four and the five. And I think we're like up to 10 now or something ridiculous. And this became less special. It became less awesome to the point where now, like, I don't even have a way to charge this anymore. It probably doesn't work. And I had to fish it out of a junk drawer that I, and I was pretty impressed that I even had it. Um, and my, my reason for bringing that up is I feel like men, sometimes when you think back to your wedding day, you probably felt hopefully more excited than getting an iPhone, but, but that that feeling of this is new, this is exciting, this is awesome. It was there. And then as time goes by, the new wears off. And if we're not careful, men, to care and protect our marriages, they could end up in the junk drawer. Or more dangerously, I would argue, you would look at your marriage and go, uh, this isn't doing what I want. I got to get a new one. I'm done with this old thing and I'm going to, I'm going to go look for I wife 10 and hope it does what I want. And that's not going to go well. And so this morning we're going to see men that we need to get our marriages out of the junk drawer and it falls on us to start to love our wives unconditionally to press in and give them what they need and see that ultimately in our loving our wives, we get to be a reflection of Jesus to the world. And so we're going to jump into Ephesians 5 um, and we're going to read, let's just start with verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let's just stop right there. The first thing we see is we're told, love your wives as Jesus loved the church. This word that Paul uses for love is a selfless, sacrificial love. A laying down of your will and your desires in pursuit 
of your wife. And I feel compelled to let you know that a lot of what I'm going to share this morning um, is just pretty much boosted from a book called Love and Respect. Uh, my wife and I read this book very early on. Today's going to kind of be an infomercial. I'm going to throw a lot of resources at you because um, I think resources help. And so I think let's not be too proud to say, hey, we could use some help in some of these areas. And reading is good. And if you don't want to read, listening is good. And so get the audio book. Um, but my wife and I read this book when we were fairly newly married. And we were, we were too young and naive to know that when you read good stuff, you weren't supposed to like, ignore it. You were supposed to do it. And so we read it and we're like, this is good. Let's just do this. And we've done that. And by God's grace, we'll be married 15 years in August. And I can tell you, we have a happy, healthy marriage. She's my favorite person. I love her a ton. And we've had a very peaceful marriage without a lot of blow-ups and eruptions and conflict because I love her and I feel respected by her. And she feels loved, and she'll get up and say that here in a second. She feels loved by me because I gave her 10 bucks. Um, But um, I would highly encourage, and a lot of this morning is going to come from this book, um, from a guy who's been doing ministry and counseling for over 30 years. I can't recommend that book enough. Um, but the idea is we are to love our wives unconditionally, like Jesus loved the church. And so your first fill in the blank, if you've got notes, is one of the ways that we unconditionally love our wives is to chase after her. We chase them. Um, we see this in verse 25, that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When I thought about it, Jesus had to leave heaven to come after the church, to come rescue us. He left his home to come to earth and live as a baby, grow up, live a sinless, perfect life, ultimately laying his life down for you and for me. And men, we get to model that same example of a God who ran after us and pursued us by pursuing our wives. Dating should not stop when you say, I do. And men, I just want to encourage you, you were good at this at one point. You had some game. You had enough game that you tricked her into marrying you. But yet, here's, here's how men are wired. We, we like to go out, we like to conquer, we want to battle to win and fight for. And so when you, early on in your dating relationship, you would probably get in your car, drive to her dorm or her apartment or her house, you'd pick her up and you would take her away on an adventure to a basket of breadstick and mediocre wine at Olive Garden, and you'd sit and you'd ask about her day, you'd ask about her heart, you would engage in her life. And you liked it so much that you put a ring on it, and now you're like, I'm done. I got my prize. I did what I set out to do. And then eventually you end up with a home and all these other little kids running around. And you're like, I've got to care for them. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to look for, you know, a job to pay for the minions. And I've got to provide. And and all of that is good and right. But meanwhile, this lovely princess that at one point in your history felt so pursued by you. You've made your queen and left her in the dust. And you've stopped pursuing her. You've stopped running after her heart. You no longer whisk her away. You watch Netflix reruns and then fall asleep on the couch. Dating should not stop when you say, I do. Jesus ran after us. Men, we need to chase after our wives. 
We need to fight to make this happen. In different seasons in my marriage, this has looked differently. Young kids present obstacles, not problems, obstacles to this intentional time together. So in certain seasons, we would shut the TV off and have date night at home. We're just going to make time for each other after the kids go to bed. Or we're going to have an infant carrier in the booth with us. And we're going to go on a lunch date because the other kids are in school and this is the only time it can happen. And so this is time together. Or in other seasons, we've literally allowed people to come live in our home with the expectation that you can live here, but part of your rent is you're going to be our babysitter. You're going to help us in this because we want to fight to stay connected. Because the last thing I want to do is in 20 years, my kids are grown and gone, and I look across the breakfast table one day and go, who are you? What have we been doing? For well, The kids are gone, and I don't know you anymore. That's where a lot of marriages fall apart. But it starts now, today, with chasing after her. And men, I just want to encourage, like, don't feel like you have to be creative. Infomercial number two. Um, we picked up a cop- couple of copies of this. I think they might all be gone. So if you're the first one up here after service, you can have, I think this might be the last one. Um, but they're on Amazon. Buy this book. Um, and I didn't write it, so this isn't like, and I'll get money. Um, it's just is really good. It's a book called Date Your Wife. Um, and I read it this week. It's highly practical. At the end of the book, there's over a hundred date ideas. So men, don't be a lone soldier. Get some help. Google, how could I date my wife? Come up with ideas. Figure out what works for you. There's a hundred different ideas as well as chapters that are highly practical, highly resourceful. And what I love about this book is at the end of each chapter, there is a call to action. There's a do this in light of what you just read. And as a man, I'm like, I want to be told what to do. Give me some action steps and I feel equipped to go and do something. And men, just to tease you, like, you'll, you'll enjoy the action steps at the end of this book. Um, so, so read that. Date your wife. I cannot stress that enough. You need to chase after her. Like Jesus came after the church. Secondly, we see that if we're going to love our wives unconditionally, we need to cover her. We need to protect her. We need to lead her. We see this in verse 26. It says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, I think I've wrongly misunderstood this verse in the past, and I've heard it used in a way where, like, it's this is a command for the husband to, like, make my wife come sit right here as I read from the Bible and the words cascade down onto her, and she's washed in the word, and it's awesome. And that just sounds creepy and weird, and so we don't do it. But as you study what this is actually talking about, this is not me washing my wife with the word. This is Jesus regenerating our hearts through the power of the gospel. The phrase, the word, that is used at the end of verse 26 is literally the word rhema, which Paul will use often to get people, to point people to the gospel of Jesus, that he lived a perfect life, died the death we should have died, and walked out of the tomb. The tomb stands empty and Jesus is alive. We now have hope. And as Paul has been talking about throughout the letter to the Ephesians, we get a new identity and a new life in Christ because of the rhema, the gospel. And if we go to Titus Titus verse, uh, chapter three, verse four, Paul writes to a young pastor. He says, when the goodness and kindness, our goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The washing of the water of the word is a a gospel-packed statement where Paul is saying, men, point your wives to Jesus. Cover her as her spiritual leader and authority. Don't leave her out on an island by herself to figure this thing out. Lead and cover your wife well. Set her apart to be a follower of Jesus. That's what sanctification, when Jesus sanctifies us, he sets us apart for his purpose. Encourage your wife before she's a mom, before she's a wife. Make her, help her discover her identity as a daughter of the Most High King. Give her time and space to be a follower of Jesus. Free her up. Come alongside her and say, hey, you know what? Why don't, I got the kids this morning. You go with your Bible and your journal. Go to Starbucks, go to the mountains, do whatever you got to do. Lock the bedroom door. Just you and Jesus get away. Give her that time and that freedom. Ask her questions. Hey, what have you been reading? Where, where have you been? What have you been studying? What's going on in your heart? What's, what's the Lord teaching you? What's the Lord revealing to you? Ask her good questions. Be willing to be open to her. Don't do what I did a couple of weeks ago. So um, I, through, throughout the month of February, I've been studying the minor prophets. And so I was getting ready to read the book of Jonah. And I got kind of geeked out and I came to my wife and I said, I got a great idea. You read Jonah today and I'll read Jonah. And then after we put the kids to bed, we'll sit and we'll talk about the book of Jonah. This will be so much fun. She was like, cool, that sounds good. Okay, whatever, I'm working, leave me alone. Um, but she did. And so we came together after the kids were in bed and I said, cool. Let me tell you what I saw in Jonah. And then I preached a sermon at her for 40 minutes. I gave an altar call. She accepted the Lord as her savior. It was awesome. We're going to baptize her next week. Um, but it wasn't a conversation. It was me preaching at my wife. Don't do that. Have a conversation. Enter in to the word. Enter into your faith together. And, and here's where I want to be quick to give grace. Because if your background is maybe like mine, this was not modeled well. You didn't see this growing up. And the minute I say, lead, cover your wife spiritually, be her spiritual leader, you feel tense, you feel awkward, you feel woefully inadequate. I get that. I really do. But here's here's what I want to tell you. You feel inadequate because you are. A marriage doesn't take two people to work. It takes you, your spouse, and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the gospel. And you know what? Your wife knows you're inadequate too. She gets it. You need to come together and place your hope and faith and trust in Jesus. And so you don't need to come and dissect the Greek or the Hebrew. That's the wrong thing to do. Come with questions. Come with ideas. Come with doubts. Come with fears. Share your heart and your spiritual life with your spouse. Cover her. Let her know she's not in this alone. And then the other thing that I just practically want to say, men, is realize your words have power. If you, if you do say, sweetie, I want you to get alone with Jesus. I got the kids. You just go. You, your journal, and your Bible, go. I got this. And then while she's gone, somebody lights the dog on fire. Somebody breaks the TV. And it was just a nightmare while she was gone. Don't let her walk in the door. And the first thing you say is, thank God you're back. That was awful. You just undid all the good. Because, guys, we don't understand this. But, but women have this very real, like, mom and wife guilt. 
that's like always right around the corner. Guys, we don't, we don't, we don't have that. My wife could be like, hey, why don't you go? And I don't even hear the rest of the sentence. I'm in my Jeep. I'm gone. See ya. Good luck with the kids. I'll be back when I'm back. Women feel guilt, like they shouldn't invest in themselves. And so they need us to cover them. They need us to come alongside them and say, I want you to be a follower of Jesus first. That will make your wife a better wife. That will make her a better mom. It will make her a better employee. To, to our, our single ladies, if you are a follower of Jesus first, you're preparing yourself to be the best wife you could be if you're falling in love with Jesus now. Don't wait for a man to tell you how to love Jesus. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to come alongside and help and encourage and free you up in whatever way we can to be a follower of Jesus. Cover your wife. Jesus covered over us. He cleansed us. He washed us. We are new identities because of what he did And so we need to cover them. If you want a beautiful picture of what this looks like, for time's sake, we're not going to read it today, but I would encourage you to look up Ezekiel 16. I'm sure many of you spent a lot of time this week in the book of Ezekiel. Um, It's an awesome book, very dark and scary. But there's this passage. It's one of my favorite Old Testament passages, actually, in Ezekiel 16. I'd encourage you, with your spouse or in a journey group or in your regroup, um, get involved in community this week and read this whole chapter. I was going to read it, but for time's sake, I think we'll just, I'm just going to dangle a carrot in front of you. This is a beautiful, horrific, heartbreaking, graphic description of how God covers us as his bride. It's hard to read in places. And so maybe don't like eat a big meal before you read it. But I want you to go and I want you to study and see how God feels about us and how he covers over us. Because this is a beautiful passage that that shows God entering into our most vulnerable spots and making us more beautiful and drawing us to himself. And so I want to encourage you to go and read that this week. In your pursuit to love your wife, not only do you cover her, but then we see thirdly in verse 27, we celebrate her. Verse 27 says, So that, this is still speaking of Jesus, he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The original audience could not have helped hearing this language and going, wow, that sounds a lot like a wedding. Because the, the, ancient, the, the Jewish marriage practice at this time would have been there were two parts to a wedding ceremony. There was the betrothal period where a young man would come to a family and say, hey, I want to marry your daughter and I'm willing to give you this amount of money or these many goats or whatever it is and I want to marry her. And after they agreed upon a price, they would settle it and legally the man would now be married to the young woman. But he would go home without his bride and a period of time would pass where the family was then responsible for putting together this celebration, putting together this party. And when the bride was ready, the party was ready, they would literally parade across town and present to the man his wife. And it was a huge feast, a huge celebration. And then we would see verse 31 where the two would come together and become one. They would consummate what has legally been settled for a while. They would enjoy the fruit of their marriage. And there would be much rejoicing and celebrating. And what we see here is that we are stuck today. We find ourselves in that middle ground as Jesus' bride. 
at the cross, legally, Christ died. He paid the price we couldn't pay. He bought us. We are his. And then it says that he's gone to prepare a place for us. That Jesus not only bought us, but he's also responsible for getting the party ready. And there is a day approaching. Revelation 21 says it this way. John, the apostle who writes Revelations, sees this holy city, this new Jerusalem. He says, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Church, there is a day approaching where we will be with Jesus, perfect and holy, blameless and spotless. And in the meantime, men, it is your job to reflect this by celebrating your wife, by enjoying her, making my, having fun together. Some of us just, I think, take life way too seriously. When was the last time you just giggled with your wife? Earlier this week, I don't know if this is wise to tell you to do, but I decided I wanted to look up funny parenting tweets on Google. And I sat on the couch giggling like a toddler with my wife as I read these ridiculous raw emotions parents feel. And the more I laughed, the more she laughed. Before you knew it, we were both just crying on the couch. I think we were a little overtired. But it was just fun to laugh together, to enjoy, to celebrate, to make much, to, to, to enjoy who she is. We can get so stuck in just trying to get through the day that we forget to love and celebrate. And I'm not, celebrate her mentally, celebrate her physically, emotionally, spiritually. My last infomercial. <clears throat> There's a book. Um, if you want to be challenged with just the idea of physical intimacy and just the depth and meaning and the importance of it, um, I would highly recommend this book. Uh, John Piper and Justin Taylor, two guys who are way smarter than anybody in here, um, wrote this book. It's called Sex and the Supremacy of Christ. And it just shows how deeply spiritual that act is. And it is something to be celebrated for sure, but something to not take for granted or take lightly. And so if you want to be challenged, if you want to be encouraged, if you want to have to get a dictionary to look up some big words that you don't understand, um, that is the book. It is phenomenal and will challenge your preconceived ideas of what it means to celebrate the physical intimacy that God has called us to. The two shall be come together and become one flesh. It is deeply spiritual and something to be celebrated. Find ways to celebrate her, to make her more beautiful, to be excited about who she is, is a way that you can love her unconditionally. And then finally, cherish her. We see this in verse 28 through 30. It says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. If I was standing here right now and I fell down, that shouldn't come as a shock to any of you, but I would put my hands out and protect myself. Hopefully. I'm kind of clumsy. I might not. Um, and as you can tell, I don't have a problem nourishing my body. One guy got it. That's awesome. Um, we take care of our body because it's the only one we've got. 
Some of us go to the gym and we work out and we watch what we eat. Others of us maybe should cherish and nourish our bodies a little bit differently. Um, But we, we watch over it. We hold it of high value because this is the one we get. That should be our motivation. That should be our attitude and our approach to our wives. We should hold our wives in high regard. Cherish them. Guys, a way that you can cherish your wife, don't commit adultery with your computer screen. Don't start an emotional, adulterous relationship with somebody at Starbucks. Be faithful to your bride. Hold her in high regard. Think much of her. And I know maybe some of you this morning are in in a tough relationship right now. And it's hard. You're like, I don't, I don't really even like her, let alone cherish her. Well, in, in, to go back to the book, Love and Respect, and if we've got this image, let's throw it up on the screen. That's w- what you can get trapped in very easily is what's called the crazy cycle. Here we go. So men, we need respect. Women need love. And what we will do is we will say, well, until she loves me or until she respects me, I'm not going to love her. And so she's going to react without respect, which is going to cause you to react without love. And then we get into circular logic where you're just doing the same old thing, expecting different results. Literally the definition of insanity. Men, lead your family. Jump off the crazy cycle and love your wife unconditionally. She may not deserve it. You may not want to do it. Love her anyway. Jesus left heaven to love you while you were his enemy. You can love your wife. You can cherish her. If you're having trouble doing this, what I would encourage you to do is sit down in a still, quiet place. At some point, there was something that drew you to her. You didn't always feel frustrated. There wasn't always tension. There was a sweet season in your relationship. Write them down. What attracted you to her? What drew you to her? What was good about your relationship at the beginning? Remind yourself and then look for those opportunities to share with her. The other thing that I think is, I don't think it's a small thing, is guard the way you speak about your wife. Don't refer to her as the ball and chain, the old lady. Don't be disrespectful in how you speak of your wife. If you were to look through my phone that actually works, not the old one that's useless, um, you would, if you looked through my phone, for my wife's name is Katie. She's going to come up here in a second. And you were to look and try to find her name in my phone, you wouldn't find it. And that's not because we have a bad marriage and we're in need of counseling. It's because I, everybody gets to call her Katie. You guys can call my wife Katie. That's perfectly fine. I have chosen, I, that just feels actually even kind of weird to say. When I think of her, I don't think of Katie. I think of my bride. I think of my wife. Or in my phone, her name is my love. And so every time I get a text, every time I call or she calls me, there's this subtle visual reminder that this is my love calling me. It's not just Katie. It's my love. And I work really hard to refer to her as my bride. And as often as I can, I will say, my bride, my beautiful bride, my lovely bride, because I want in my own heart, I want to cherish her. I want to lift her up in my mind to protect myself and how I speak of her, to bring me back, even in conversation, to the day when I made a commitment to love her forever. And so I want to speak that way of her. 
I feel like that's cherishing her, that's honoring her, that's lifting her up, that's protecting me and protecting her. And so I want to guard even the way that I speak about my bride. I want to guard the thoughts that I have. I want to guard the things that I look at to make sure I'm cherishing her because what she desperately needs is for me to love her unconditionally. And when I do that, we see that what happens is the crazy cycle is avoided. And if I love her, she will respect me, the thing my heart so deeply desires. First, uh, First Peter 3, because um, we've talked about the husband's role. But what we require as husbands, ladies, I think this is important to know, is your husband, uh, he requires respect. He doesn't need a hug and somebody to tell him he's pretty. He needs you to be his biggest champion, to know you've got his back. If the world is against him, you're there for him. Everything else could be fall, and he doesn't deserve it. This is an unconditional respect. The church has done a very good job preaching unconditional love. I don't know that we've done as good of a job preaching unconditional respect. We see that in 1 Peter 3, the, uh, the apostle Peter speaking to wives says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. Ladies, you don't have to say anything by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. You can literally change your husband. The love that you feel so deeply, uh, the need for so deeply in your soul, if you show him respect, he will show you love. It's amazing how it works. When you will respect, when we avoid the crazy cycle, when you're like, until she loves me, I'm not respecting her. And until he loves me, I'm not, re-. no. If we just will stop and say, you know what? Jesus came after us. We're gonna go after our spouse. And so what I thought would be helpful is I'm gonna have my wife come up and I'm gonna have her, I'm gonna ask her just to, to share a little bit. Um, let's give her a golf clap as she comes. She's awesome. Um, And so I thought it would be helpful just thinking about this idea of respect. So if you could just share, what would some advice to women be who maybe are looking to grow in their ability to respect their husbands? How do you do do that? Because you do a great job. Thank you. Um, The first one I would suggest, I feel like I have a lot of advice. Uh, I I could tell you lots of things, I feel like. Um, She's married to me. I know. Lots tell of you what to do. Lots of words. No, um, but first and foremost uh, is love Jesus, right? Like fall in love with God. Because while Nate is my favorite person, um, you can ask our children. They know that he's my favorite, vice versa. But God comes first. And so my first advice is love God. And, that, um, and he'll see it, right? Like if I love the Lord and if I spend time in the word, if I spend time on my knees praying, um, or just have a posture of prayer even, uh, that will shine out, right? Others will see, like if you remember the Sunday school song, Let Your Light, right? About a little light, hide it under a bushel, no. Um, if I fall in love with Jesus, and if I, if I spend time in the Word, it will change me. My responses will be respectful. Mm. The, my things I say about Him when He's not around will be respectful, not degrading or disrespectful. And so, fall in love with Jesus. The Word has so much to say in this area. I mean, if you struggle with how you speak, God talks about that, right? Guarding your speech. Um, if you have 
trouble with things you look at or things you think about, right? He, the word talks about taking your thoughts captive. And so, um, and the reason why we read and study for me is so that when I am in sin or when I feel selfishness creep up, right? I have his word hidden in my heart, so I may not sin. And so fall in love with Jesus. He'll see it. Um, you, it will change you in a good way. Um, practical advice is um, talk about it. Talk about it a lot. Nate and I have set up a pattern in our life where we can, there's an open dialogue. And so at any time, I'd recommend maybe it's a monthly thing for you guys. Maybe it's quarterly where you just open the door and then leave it open for conversation. So it may look like, hey, babe, this week, has there been anything that I've done that has been disrespectful? Um, or what has I, what have I done maybe that you felt respected and felt bolstered because of? And so, and then when I talk about it that way, or when we talk about it, not in the heat of a moment, but when we talk about it, maybe on a date night or on a dedicated time, this conversation is gentle and sweet and not ugly and biting. Um, and so I think just talk about it. Talk about what, what makes you as a woman, make, what makes you feel loved? Um, what makes you feel honored or cherished in front of people? And so, um, talk about it. Talk about it a lot. What else? So I think what would be some um, resources that you would encourage if women want to grow in their ability? Like where where should they go? What should they read? You didn't bring a library with you because you're smart. I did um, not, but I have a lot of I have a lot of resources. So um, the first one that I recommend probably for anybody now, and in fact, a lot of people at Redemption that have been around a little bit read this a couple years ago. But resolving everyday conflict. Um, that's a great one. It's a short read. It's smaller than date your wife. Um, that one to me has been really important in even this relationship of what does it look like to overlook an offense? What does it look like to own my part of sin? Um, resolving everyday conflict is a great read and we have copies. If we don't have copies out there, we have some that, um, available. So that's a great one. Um, Another one, thank you, I wrote them down so I didn't forget, is Power of a Praying Wife. I read this book likely maybe even before I was a wife because she has Power of a Praying Woman, Power of a Praying Husband. Stormy O'Martian wrote this book, um, and it was incredible. I feel like it really helped me in those formative years learn the importance of going to the Lord before going um, to anybody else for that. So that's a good one. If this is a problem for you, I feel like this is a resource I um, read just this week, and I've only admittedly gotten through half of it. So, but I, it's really started out well. It's by Gary Thomas. It's called Loving Him Well, um, and it's the subtitle is like How You Can Influence Your Husband. Um, it's a good one. Um, I think it's great, especially if this is an area where maybe he's not respectable, and you need practical advice on how to respect him. Um, maybe he's not loving. We still need to do it, right? That's what the word commands is that we're, we are to respect him regardless of what he does to us. And so your advice may be to do it. Um, and so this is a, to me, this is a good book, loving him well on practical tips on how to do that. Another one I'd recommend, we read it a long time ago, kind of love and respect. It goes with that, but is the five love languages. We, um, they just recently, I don't know how recently came out with an app that you can take the test right there on your phone um, and learn what is it that he needs or that I need um, to fill my tank, right? If you have a kindergartner like I do, they talk about fill your bucket, right? And so I think learning ways to that end, right, any personality test, any type of um, thing that helps you understand each other better, in my opinion, has been really helpful for us because 
If I know that he needs quality time, but I really like gifts, well, I'm going to give him gifts all the time. And he's like, thanks. That's not what I need. I need you near me often. And so any personality test, I like the five love languages as a start, but I mean, literally we've taken possibly all of them. Um, but it just helps me understand, right? I've taken some with my coworkers, like DISC and stuff, to understand our work relationship. This is the most important relationship outside of my relationship with the Lord. And so the more I can seek to understand him, what makes him tick, and vice versa, I think the better um, this relationship can be. I think another resource is your friend. God has given us godly community around us. One of our values here is biblical community. And so asking somebody that you know that does this well, um, how hey, I was with you and your husband said X. That's not how I would have responded. How did you learn how to do that? I need to be like you. And so, you know, Peter or Paul talks about follow me as I follow Christ. I think we need to follow each other. Mm-hmm. And so asking wives in your life, how do you do it? Um, what have you read? What are you learning? So. Then I think my probably last question would be, how, how do you feel like date night has impacted our marriage? How important, how much value do you place on it? And, Yes. No. It's vital in our life. I feel like it's something that, again, we were taught probably about five years into marriage, seven years into marriage. We had an older couple come to us um, and said, like, you have to do this. We will take your children. At that point, we only had two. Um, and so it was so important that they, mo- one, they modeled it and they were active in our lives. What did you- I'm, I'm oh. standing there. <laughs> we had two. Um, and so for us, it's important. I feel like that's when we instituted a weekly date night. Um, not every season we've been able to do that. But for me, it gives us, and I would speak for you, I think it gives us a forum to, one, we know it's coming, right? We know every Tuesday or whenever it is, is coming. And so it's like, you know, if it's Saturday, we're like, okay, Tuesday's around the corner. Uh, so we know we get that time. It's built in. It's built into our budget. If there's been seasons where we have to cut things out to make it happen, it's not always expensive things, but, um, and like Nate said, in younger, when we had littler kids, it was, let's put the kids to bed at 7.45. And then starting at 8 on is date night, whatever that looks like that night. And so for me, it's important. I feel like it really does open up. Those are the times for us that we can connect on a heart level. Sometimes it's just, we need to be together. So that date night may look like doing something fun together, working out, going swimming, something like that. And sometimes we have things we need to talk about, right? Something happened during the week. The date night for me gives me an opportunity. If, um, I feel like one of the things I didn't talk about earlier was, you know, the Lord talks about not nagging, right? A lot, actually five times in Proverbs. And he says, it's better to live on a rooftop, the corner of a roof than with a nagging wife. And so I really strive in our home not to nag, not to, he also uses the word quarrelsome, um, or contentious. No one wants to be called a contentious wife, but we all have those moments. And so for me, I think stopping and praying, um, taking time away and then taking thoughts captive, right? And so I have that date night. If there's something that happens on a Friday that doesn't feel that maybe I need to talk about, and maybe in my flesh, I would lash out in anger or lash out. Um, I can just wait for me, and this is what I do, is wait, and maybe we talk about it on Tuesday. If it's something that can wait for date night, let's talk about it then when tempers are settled or, you know, blood pressure is a little bit lower, and so date night's important. Thank you. Thank you. Let's give another golf clap. The one thing... Um, kind of 
way that I want to finish is a quote from the book, Love and Respect. Um, He says that you cannot motivate your spouse to give you what you need by withholding what they need. And so men, you need respect. It's how you're wired. It's, it's what you, you crave. It's, and maybe you've not had that language to go, man, there's something missing in my marriage. I don't know what it is. Um, I hope that this is equipping and empowering to you. The way in which you get it is to give your wife the unconditional love that her heart and soul so desperately needs. And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to transition into a time of communion. Because what I want us to remember, and I'm going to have Kyle and the band come back up, is that this only works if the vertical is right. You need Jesus present in your relationship. You need to be in a right standing with him. You need to commune with him. My wife said over and over, like, just pray, pray, pray. Like, connect with God first. Start there before you go have conversations with your spouse. Where, how are you in community with Jesus? And so we have just the very real application, the very real opportunity to do that through communion, to celebrate the fact that, you know, Jesus chased after us. He covered us. He celebrates us. He cares for us. He cherishes us so much that he laid down his life for us. And so what I want us to do is spend time before you maybe leave here and go to lunch and feel the need to confess to your wife, I've not been loving you like I should. I want you to do that. If you've not been respecting your husband, the thing that he so desperately needs, I want you to confess that. But take this time here and enter in with Jesus first. And then out of that expression, out of that flow, that overflow of the love that he's poured out on you, allow that to fuel those conversations with your spouse. And so I'm going to pray, and then I would just invite you to spend some time with Jesus. Confess and and talk to him, and then when you feel ready, we've got stations on either side of the sanctuary. Um, Take the cracker representing his broken body, dip it in the juice representing his shed blood, and celebrate the fact that Jesus is the perfect spouse we need. He's the example, men. We have the opportunity to follow and display that to the world, but we are his bride together first.